Amen. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Christ is risen. It's been a month since Easter and the reality is still the same. And today we get a chance to see a beautiful story in John 21 of the risen Christ and what he's doing now and what he desires to do through his people. And so it's my joy this morning to bring John 21 to you um, and wrap up our month-long missions conference. So like I said at the beginning of the service today, we've had the last three Sundays of guest speakers and we've spanned the globe from Salem uh, to the ends of the earth and then back to New England where last week we learned about an amazing ministry uh, that Stephanie and her work in, uh, with the Amira uh, uh, organization is doing in New England to save those out of, out of slavery, literally, uh, in, our, in our own backyard. And so we've, we've walked from our local mission of God's empowering us to be witnesses right here in our own backyard to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves and to look critically at the 44,000 people in the city of Salem where God has planted this church and wants to do a new thing. And we've learned about the Great Commission, God's call to make disciples of all nations. And we've heard from uh, Doug Birdsall, who, who told us stories about how God has worked through his own life uh, in obedience to that commission. And then now we're here together today uh, to figure out what to do next. What is God calling us to do as a church? And how is he going to use our labors, our lives, uh, everything that we are, uh, to make his name known uh, everywhere we go? And so we come to John 21. And the simple question today is this. What does a shepherd have to do with fish? Sheep don't eat fish. So why is a shepherd concerning himself with fish in today's story? So that's the title of today's sermon, The Shepherd's Fish. And uh, we're going to look at this together. What does a shepherd have to do with fish? Uh, I was reading an article this week. Um, it was, I don't even know where it was, actually. Oh, it's Houston. That's where it is. Houston, Texas. And this is the headline of the article. Alligator and cow delay Houston traffic, turn commute into a zoo. And so I, I thought to myself, wow, I don't think I've ever heard alligator and cow in the same news headline before. So it caught my eye. So I'll, let me read just a little bit of what the article says. It says, A cow and an alligator caused traffic delays on Wednesday during separate incidents in which the animals took themselves for a spin on the Houston area roadways. Around 8 a.m., the cow was spotted moving along Interstate 10 in East, in East Houston, stopping traffic during rush hour. It said uh, later that a pedestrian was trying to rope the cow to try to get it off. The sheriff's office livestock unit later arrived at the scene and was able to get the cow to a nearby cemetery where it was loaded onto a trailer and reunited with its owners. The cow, which was unharmed, had escaped from a nearby farm. Then, just an hour later, a not fast but furious alligator parked itself on the shoulder of a busy bridge near the Houston suburb of Baytown. At least one lane of traffic was blocked as several officers, including members of the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, placed a rope around the reptile's neck. After the alligator wrestled and spun on the ground, officers held it down as its mouth was taped shut. What? Can you believe that? A cow and an alligator on the same day, just a few miles apart, wreaking havoc on the roadways of Houston. What does the world come to? So if a cow and an alligator can end up in the same spot, maybe a shepherd and a fish can end up in the same spot as well. So again, this is an unlikely kind of thought. And again, maybe you've, you've probably heard these stories. 
Um, And Jesus deals a lot with fish during his time as the shepherd of our souls. Uh, But let's let's not miss the strangeness of this. A shepherd of the sheep is dealing a lot with fish. And I'm going to kind of frame our thinking around that this morning. As Javier was reading this, this passage this morning, you should have hopefully had some, some memories come to mind of maybe, maybe I've heard some of this somewhere before. This sounds maybe a little familiar from other uh, Bible passages that have been read uh, uh, earlier in the scriptures. One of them is Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. And it's the first time that Jesus calls Simon Peter. And he's on, on the water. Jesus takes his boat and is using it to preach a sermon, the, the famous sermon. Uh, and it says that the disciples hadn't caught anything all night. Uh, but Jesus tells Simon to let down your nets one more time. And in Luke 5, he says, take the boat out a little bit further and let your nets down again. Do you remember what Peter said? He said, sir, we've done this all night and we haven't caught a thing. Why would I do it one more time? And Jesus says, just do it. Just lay it down one more time. And so Simon obeys. They let down their nets. And in Luke 5, 6, it says, they caught a large number of fish, so much that their nets were breaking. And then in a couple of verses after that, he says, Jesus says, from now on, you will be catching men, catching people. And thus sets in stage and in course the story of the disciples becoming fishers of men. Another passage that maybe is coming to your mind as you think about Jesus and fish is the story of when Jesus feeds the 5,000. This, uh, it's a number of places, but John 6, verses 1 to 14 is one of the places. And this is the last time that Jesus appears at the Sea of Tiberias, which is where he is here in John 21. So go back 15 chapters, you see Jesus at the Sea of Tiberias, and he, uh, there's a large crowd that's there before them, and they're, they're all getting hungry, it says, and the disciples are trying to figure out how much money they have to go buy food. And Jesus says, no, no, just gather what you have. And they said, well, this boy, this little boy has five loaves of bread and two fish, but that's not going to feed all these people. And Jesus says, just bring it to me. And slowly they start to distribute the food, and, sh- and everybody is filled to the, to the full. And then it says they had even had leftovers afterward. An amazing thing that Jesus does with just two fish and a couple pieces of bread. So what does a shepherd do with fish? I'm going to give you just a short progression here from John 21 of what, what the shepherd in this passage does with fish. First thing, let's look at the first five verses. This is kind of the, the prelude to the story. So the disciples, the seven of them, not all 12, but seven of them find their way to the Sea of Tiberias, and they decide to go fishing. Why? It doesn't really say. I think they just like to fish. They're in their hometowns. They're doing something that they were accustomed to. They decide to go fishing. Simon, of course, is the leader, and people follow after him. They decide to go fishing. And it says again, they caught nothing. I thought these were good fishermen. I guess not. The two stories we hear about, they're not catching anything. And so verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. And again, the disciples didn't know it was Jesus. They couldn't recognize him. This is Jesus in his resurrected body, and they don't recognize him yet. And he just simply shouts out to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they state the obvious, No, we don't. 
We have no fish. So what do we learn about what the shepherd has to do with fish right away? We see that the shepherd goes after the fish. The shepherd goes after the fish. And again, it's odd. Why would a shepherd be going after fish? We'll learn that in just a moment. But this is just the first thing. The shepherd, Jesus, desires to go after fish. And he identifies his sheep, that's the disciples here, he identifies his sheep as the ones who can catch his fish. And the shepherd today identifies his church as the ones who can catch his fish. Jesus is the expert fisherman. Let's not forget that. He's the one who knows how to catch fish. So why doesn't he just do it by himself? And that's the question of life, right? Why doesn't God just do it himself? Why does he employ people like me and you, or people like Simon and Andrew and the sons of Zebedee? Why does he employ people like that to do his fishing? And so Jesus arrives at the shore and his presence to them, even though they don't know who he is, his simple presence changes the whole story right away. His simple presence forever changes this story and it changes every story. Jesus' presence in this place right now changes this service into just a simple lecture or a concert into a worship service. Jesus' presence changes the world. And we see that here right away uh, with these disciples. And so again, he shouts out, have you caught any fish? And they respond, no. And so Jesus is shouting to the church in our day, church, have you had any success on your own church building initiatives? As you've gotten really wise about how to reach people in your own town with your own strategies, your own initiatives, have you been successful? Have you caught any fish? Have you reached your city well with your own initiatives? In church, we would say, no. 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 Apart from the presence of the shepherd, we are just like the fishermen trying to catch fish on our own. We cannot catch the fish on our own. We cannot reach people on our own. We cannot make a difference on our own with our own smarts. And that's part of what Jesus is getting at here. The church can do nothing apart from Jesus. All of our plans, all of our initiatives, all our hopes are fruitless without the direction of the shepherd. And yet Jesus has identified the church as his fish catchers. He wants to use us. He delights to use us. He wants to use sheep to catch fish. And that doesn't really make sense, does it? He wants to use you and me to change the way our cities operate, to change the way our world views anything. He wants us to turn the world upside down. He believes we can do it, just as he believes sheep can catch fish. This plan may seem foolish. What can a sheep do with fish? Again, Sheep are not going to eat fish. Jesus' mission can often seem unlikely. And it may seem like, why does he want to use us? But his question to us is, will you trust him? His method, his mission, and how highly he thinks of us. So that's the first thing, is that Jesus desires to use us. He desires to go after fish. Secondly, look at just at verse 6. The second point is, is that the shepherd trains the sheep how to catch fish. And a lot of fish. Again, Jesus is, he's the expert fisherman. He knows how to catch fish. And he knows where the fish are, clearly. And he could just do it himself. 
But he trains us. He trains the disciples here to catch fish. So again, why doesn't he just do it himself? So I had someone ask me recently, because the weather is getting nice and we live by the coast, um, they said, Stephen, do you like to fish? And my answer was, I like the idea of fishing. It sounds really nice, actually, to go out on a boat and lay down a line and sit there. And if you catch something, you can take it in and eat it. Like, that sounds pretty great to me. Um, but I have no idea how to fish. <laughs> I have no idea how to fish. It's one of the biggest regrets in my life, actually. Where I grew up in Western North Carolina, is, it's known as one of the best fly fishing parts of the country. They have great stream fishing. I had best friends whose dad owned a fly fishing company, and I never took advantage of going and learning from them. So the idea of fishing sounds great, but I don't know how to do it. And I think the disciples here, I mean, they're professionals in some ways. This is their job. So I think they know how to fish, but not in the way that Jesus is asking them to fish. And so Jesus gives them a simple instruction. Let down the nets on the other side, and you'll find some fish. They've been casting their nets on this side. Remember earlier in Luke 5, Jesus said, go out a little bit further, lay down your nets, and you'll catch fish. This time he says, don't put them on this side, just try on that side, and you'll catch fish. And again, okay, Jesus, whatever you say. This is the second part of the story. The disciples, again, they are found to be obedient, and they catch a huge catch, so much that they can't even haul it in again. But here's the real point of the story. Jesus uses the same predictable, faithful instruction as he did much earlier, years before. And don't you think the disciples, when they heard the instruction, they said, I feel like I've heard something like this before. Again, remember, they don't recognize Jesus yet. They don't know who this man is. But they, we will remember. We will remember the works of his hands. Maybe their, their minds were being sparked. Jesus uses the same predictable teachings again. And he does the same for us. He asks us to do uh, the same things. That he, is, he's, he's, he gives us the same instruction. He just asks us to remember, to, to have our memories sparked about what he's done in our lives before. So again, Jesus will always provide. And he's simply asking us to remember what he's done. Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary to China, said God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Because he has a way that is tried and true. And if we commit ourselves to obedience to his way, we will, we will be provided for. Jesus will always provide. And the second thing from this little point here is that Jesus also surprises us in miraculous ways. So again, he doesn't use the exact same instruction, but uses the same basic instruction. Try something different. Go deeper, put your nets on the other side. He uses a little bit of a twist to surprise us, to keep it fresh. And I think that sparks the church, that sparks his disciples to creative, innovative ways of listening and being obedient to Jesus. Following Jesus is not boring. It's not just, okay, let's memorize the rules and keep them. It's, it's being in tune with his spirit and seeing his creative, innovative ways of speaking into our lives. So another missionary, William Carey, says this. Once you begin to remember uh, what Jesus has done, you can, you can kind of see what Carey gets at here. He says, expect great things from God and then attempt great things from God. Once you remember what he's done, 
and you see his faithfulness in the past, then you're bold. You're risky. You will put your life out there because you see that God will provide and he will do extraordinary things through your obedience. So let's be ready for God's creative, innovative call of how we're to reach our city, to reach our world for Christ. Third point here. So again, Jesus, he desires to go find his fish. He trains us to be the ones who catch his fish. And then point number three, this is surprising. Verses 7 to 14, you see this beautiful part where he invites his disciples back onto the shore. They drop 153 fish from their nets. But Jesus has already prepared breakfast for them. The fish are already cooking. He's got the barbecue going. He's got the fish there. He's got some bread laid out. He's inviting them to breakfast. He doesn't need their fish. He's already made breakfast for them. And yet he says this, verse 10, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And Jesus uses the fish that they catch still. So the third point here is that the shepherd uses fish for deep blessing, both for you and for the world. Jesus, again, could do this work on his own. He's got the fish. He's got the bread. He's got the breakfast laid out. But he desires to use the efforts of fishermen like you and me to bless us and to bless the world. The blessing is the revelation of himself. Again, once they see the blessing of Jesus giving them the fish, their eyes are opened and they say, it's the Lord. And they jump out of their boats and swim ashore. And then it says later on, it says, no, no one dared to ask him who he was because they knew it was the Lord. Because it was his blessing. Who else could bless the disciples like this? Who else could bless you the way that the Lord has blessed you in your life? They knew it was the Lord. So the first blessing of when we, when we do an act of obedience for God is he blesses us by seeing him again, afresh, anew. The second blessing is what I already mentioned. He uses our catch. He desires to use whatever feeble effort we give to him. He will use it for his glory if it's done in obedience and faithfulness to him. And then the third blessing is the gift of simply being with Jesus. The richest blessing for a Christian is to be in the presence of the living God and to eat breakfast with him and to be in communion with him and to enjoy what he's offering to us. What a blessing that is. A.W. Tozer said this, a theologian. He says, did you ever stop to think that God is going to be as pleased to have you with him in heaven as you are to be there? We're going to be excited to be in heaven, right? With Jesus forever. That's going to be an amazing thought. But did you ever stop to think that God is going to be just as happy to have you there? Jesus is excited to invite his disciples to breakfast with him. And don't you just love how raw and how ordinary this story is? Here's the resurrected Son of God eating a barbecue breakfast on the beach with fishermen from Galilee. And that's God's heart for people like you and me. The illustration is like this. I've heard this. It's a famous illustration. Maybe you've heard it too. So if you've heard it, just hear it again. Maybe it'll bless you this morning. 
God uses our efforts for him in a similar way that a parent uh, uses uh, a, children's, a child's effort baking Christmas cookies. So in December, we like to bake Christmas cookies with our kids, with our grandkids, and we get all of our supplies out, the bowl, the flour, the dough, the sprinkles, the icing, and we invite our young children to make Christmas cookies with us. And when they turn their heads a little bit, we kind of fix it. And we make sure it's all right. But then we invite them to throw their elements in there too and to decorate things as they want. And then when they turn around and get distracted, we kind of fix it up and make it right again to make sure that's edible and to make sure that's servable to the rest of our family. But we delight in sharing that experience with our kids just as God delights to share his kingdom-building efforts with us. God wants to use us to build his kingdom. That's why he has a church. He could do it on his own but he delights to use you and me. The shepherd uses the sheep to catch the fish. And it's an amazing thought. The last part, and I'm not even really going to get into this, but if you read the the finale of John 21, the last 10 verses, you see a twofold progression. You see Jesus interacting with Peter, and you see Jesus interacting with John. And the last point is this. The shepherd multiplies his fish Uniquely, he has this whole conversation with Peter and he restores Peter by asking him three times, do you love me? And then he tells him what his life is going to be like in obedience to him. And it says that the text tells us that he was going to show him what kind of death he was going to have. And then Peter says, but what about that disciple? What about him? He's pointing to John. And Jesus says, what I have in store for him doesn't matter to you. I'm going to write my story through him uniquely, just like I'm going to write my story uniquely through him. So each of us are invited to participate in God's story uniquely. And so the comparison about who gives more, who is more active, who has certain gifts, there's no place for that in the kingdom of God because God calls us uniquely. He uses his sheep uniquely to catch his fish. And so to finish up, uh, let me quote, Charles Spurgeon, which you may know. He says, If God has called you to be his servant or a fisherman, don't ever stoop to be a king. If God has called you to be a servant, don't ever stoop to be a king. Jesus is the one who is advancing his kingdom, but he uses servants like us in extraordinary ways to bless us, to bless the world. You have been blessed to be a blessing. And this is our call. Let me pray for us as we finish. Heavenly Father, we pray today that you would fill us with joy in the calling you've given to each of us as your sheep, that you would use us to build your kingdom. You would use us to multiply uh, the faith that you've given us and turn it over and so it might be used as a multiplying blessing to our neighbors, to our city, to our world, in whatever way you're calling us. So Lord, help us to be faithful and obedient and bold, and to listen to your voice as the shepherd calls to us to lay down our nets. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.